Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. It's time for another conversation here on the Cattleman's Call podcast. Lane Nordland, happy to be with you as always. And today's program is brought to you by WSR Insurance and Ag Risk Advisors. They will be sponsoring our weather updates with meteorologist Matt Makins over the next few months. Of course, Matt has joined us in the past based out of Denver, Colorado. Uh, Matt, how are things going? We're actually recording this conversation at the start of the year here in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana for the Cattle Convention 2023. But uh, how's convention treating you? It's been a very good week, very busy week, but uh, it helps when... Unlike last year when I got up and talked about the drought and everybody looked bad at me, uh, this year at least some folks cheered to hear that La Nina was on the way out. So a better reception this year for me personally. <laughs> Which is really nice because uh, I always I always joke being a farm broadcaster, people get really upset when we, we talk about lower markets, especially in the cattle and, and on the wheat end of things. But uh, I never I always say we don't have it as bad as the meteorologists do when, when they when, when weather changes from the forecast. So, That's why disguises uh, come in very yeah, yeah, handy yes. around convention. Yeah, yeah but yeah. you even made it down to Cafe du Monde. How was that? Uh, it's it's a hike in the wrong direction <laughs> from the convention center. So, yeah, the, the, the boots were not a wise choice for that walk this morning. But it does taste good. Good, good. Well, we, uh, we uh, uh, you know, you should have brought more for all your friends here, Matt. But, uh, <laughs> no, you know, we're here at Cattle Convention. As you mentioned, you were a part of uh, the, the Cattle Facts uh, forecast because weather is so important for the producers out in the countryside and that, that uh, past weather events impact the future of production for, for so many years on so many levels, especially for livestock production. And j- just to jump into it right now, I know we've we've talk so much about La Nina and El Nino and sometimes guys like me I'm like gosh darn I think I mix those two up could could you just share what the two weather events are and how they impact the industry and maybe what that forecast was that you shared uh, during that cattle facts uh, forecast here just this week sure it it does get confusing because we throw out all these terms and over the years you know Personally, in my profession, we always just assume people know. Uh, but in this case, you know, La Nina and El Nino are short-term climate patterns. They last, you know, 18, 24 months on average. This last La Nina was historically long, though, third year in a row, and, and historically strong. And that, that you know, this, the combination is not only, you know, it's only happened about two other times since 1950. But what it is, is it, 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 it's kind of hard to wrap your brain around a small area of ocean, to me, you know, you look at a map, it looks small, but it's massive on scale. And it's the ocean that stretches between South America and Southeast Asia. And it's right along the equator. And that area likes to be cold or warm. And when that area is colder than normal, that's a La Nina pattern. When it's warmer than normal, it's El Nino. And what that does is the ocean acts like a, uh, a source of energy. So if you have warm ocean, it's energy to the atmosphere, creates storminess, and there's a ripple effect downstream. You take away the storminess when you have La Nina, and you're taking away storm impacts downstream. And uh, the ramifications are not only drought for North America in La Nina, but drought globally in a lot of cases, with the extreme exception of Australia. They like to hear La Nina. It brings them wet weather. 
Um, so in a nutshell, we're just looking at the ocean and a relatively small part of the globe, and that drives our climate pattern for, like I said, 18 to 24 months on average. But this uh, La Nina has been almost three years. Uh, what, what, what were some of those factors in that continuation that, than a, a typical La Nina? In the past 20 years or so, La Nina has been favored. It's been a favored pattern to last a little bit longer, be a little bit stronger. Not to say we're not getting strong El Ninos within that period, but La Nina has been preferred. Uh, how the northern Pacific, we talked about right around the equator, how the other ocean basins are behaving is enhancing La Nina when La Nina is present. Um, so there's tons of factors. We can get into it in the nitty-gritty at you know a different venue probably someday. Um, but there are other factors that are that are creating La Nina patterns to last a little bit longer and the El Nino patterns over the last 20 years relatively shorter. So <clears throat> the, the chances of more of a neutral weather pattern or focusing more in that shift to El Nino, what, what could that look like here in 2023? If, if most people can, can think back to 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, that was a dramatic swing from incredible drought numbers to incredible wet numbers. It was a long drawn out process. And it was similar in that it was a robust La Nina, an extended period of what we call neutral conditions, and then El Nino kicked in. To eliminate that drought phase from 11 and 12 into 13, it took until about 2017. Very long drawn out process. And not to say that what we are going to go through is identical to that, but I do anticipate a long phase of being kind of neutral conditions. And what that means is, yes, your weather's kind of quote-unquote normal, but it's taking away the extreme drought and the extreme wetness. So you're, you're looking at more neutral territory, taking the extremes away. Mm -hmm. So we're going to see that for a period of time. And then once El Nino kicks in, uh, we're going to see wetness start to spread across the country again. Yeah, and especially for producers uh, west of the Mississippi. Uh, we've been through that drought uh, for, for several years now, and grasshoppers. They're, they're, they're <laughs> lovely as well. It's quite the plague that we had up in Montana with grasshoppers and uh, three to four years worth of drought. Uh, what, what, what is that maybe looking like over the next weeks and months uh, precipitation-wise? Like we, we knew that right before Christmas we were going to get hit with that polar vortex and going to have more of a milder January, which mm -hmm. pretty much we did. Well, then February came and uh, cold again. Yeah, cold yep. again. Uh, what what can uh, folks really anticipate? A lot of uh, a lot of producers are starting to calve as well, so uh, a lot a lot of important stuff on their mind as they prep for that. Uh, I think the kind of the bigger talking points. Let's let's be regionally specific. So mm -hmm. we'll go from Montana, say down through the Dakotas into Nebraska, Iowa, Upper Midwest. These areas have the vast majority of them have quite a bit of snow and ice on the ground. A lot of them are muddy already. Uh, that snowpack will be added to by additional storms. Not that it's going to be massive, but we'll have additional. So we're going to keep the snowpack there going longer than a typical season, and that in turn will provide colder temperatures than normal. So anybody calving there, say through, you know, certainly through February into mid-March, perhaps late March, you're going to contend with mud, wetness, and colder than normal temperatures, and that's not a very good combination. But you go, let, now let's take a look from Colorado, Kansas, Missouri, and south. Different story. Uh, warmer than normal is probably going to be how it plays out. 
uh, not wetter than normal, but probably break-even territory. So we already have bad soil moisture conditions kicking off the growing season. There's not going to be a lot of, of, of grass growth, uh, not a lot to, to forage off of. Um, so those are going to be concerns for the southern plains. I wish they could get more moisture and help kick off the growing season, but I think it'll be delayed just for the lack of precip coming their way. Now, on a global scale, um, the, uh, South America has just been seeing quite a lot of drought, and that impacts our commodity prices, uh, especially on that corn and wheat front as well. And then Australia and Russia, I mean, just, just major agricultural production regions. Well, on that global scale, again, what in the, in the near term, what, what is the forecast looking like there? Because as a farm broadcaster, I'm always talking about, uh, especially for, for grain prices, just the impact that weather is having in South America, and thus the impact that that has on the price of, of, of grain and feedstuffs and whatnot. Well, what is that global forecast looking like as we go into that neutral phase? Sure. Let, we'll do, let's say, South America, touch on Europe, and then I'll touch on Australia. Yep. So South America, remember one year ago from convention, we were talking about the second crop not looking all that good. We've already made progress in that if you look at the crop health today versus one year ago, it's already improved for Brazil. Sadly, Bolivia down into Argentina, it is as bad, if not worse, than last year. And then let's project out, say, three months. The moisture is going to prefer central and northern Brazil. So they're going to wrap up their growing season favorably in Brazil, for the most part. Zero improvement and probably getting even worse for Argentina, especially northern Argentina to southern Bolivia. So that's going to be for South America. Very little improvement, although slightly better than last year for Brazil. As you get into Europe, last year we had a good snowpack. Uh, Ukraine had deeper snows. Uh, uh, a lot of eastern Europe, northern Europe had snowpack. This year is different. There isn't that snowpack. Um, so any threat of frost, there, there's just not that protective element. Crop health, like vegetation health, very similar to last year. And as we go forward, yeah, we're starting things off kind of on a better note than last year, but it's going to be dry, it's going to be warm. So not necessarily a favorable kickoff to their season. Now, Australia has made tremendous headway in crop health, not just over the last year, but over the last several years. They had a very wet La Nina phase, very strong monsoon. Flooding was a concern in Australia, so much water, especially eastern Australia. The outlook going forward as we go into a neutral pattern across Australia, you start to see neutral conditions and literally like we're going right back to average conditions this spring and this summer, our spring and summer, their fall and winter. And it's going to be interesting to see the impact that that cold weather right before Christmas had on U.S. winter wheat crops. And uh, uh, I'm not, not here to talk about wheat or, uh, or whatnot. I know it's a cattle podcast, but so much of that that uh, wheat country does impact the, the feeding, pasture land, whatnot. And uh, up in Montana, we had pretty good snow cover uh, on that when it was about 50 below with that wind chill. But in the, in Kansas and on to Texas, there wasn't much cover there. So it's I, I'm, I'm interested to see. I know the ratings are down quite a bit in that latest USDA report condition, crop condition-wise, but it's going to be interesting to see just how much damage that cold weather caused back in December. Yeah, I think it, I think it, I shouldn't say substantial, but I think it will be substantial. Uh, the hope looking at that cold outbreak was that please send enough moisture to give, you know, three inches of snow. Just give us that as a minimum. 
help that soil moisture, give us that three inches of snow or at least a light covering. And it, it really, the vast majority of Kansas did not. And then, of course, as you went farther south, you know, there was some rain, there was some pockets of snow, but not enough to help. And then all of a sudden, that, that sharp cold came in so quickly. I, I would be shocked if it's not substantial impact from that cold wave. And then, you know, we did warm up somewhat in between that one and what came in late January, early February. But that was another whammy for a lot of folks mm-hmm. again. So. Yep. And those cold temperatures, are we looking at some more, you know, polar vortex possibilities or anything like that, where especially with calving coming up with that cold, cold weather? Is there anything, a system up up north that we should be aware of? We do have to worry about additional cold outbreaks. And I would say all the way through March, because Canada, with the exception of some of the western prairies, Canada is covered in snow. The northern plain states covered in snow, and it's not likely to go away. So you're reinforcing any system that's coming through there already, and you're adding more cold to it or keeping it cold. So I think as we go throughout February, there's there's a strong signal that most of the U.S. will be cooler than average, and where's the bullseye of cold? Montana, Dakotas, Wyoming, Nebraska. And then as we hit March into April, we'll see things we'll see things swing so maybe the extremes if you will of cold subside but still colder than average and then once we hit may and june we'll get rid of that snow and once that snow is gone then we'll see a, a pretty substantial warm-up uh, and actually i didn't pay attention yesterday did the groundhog see his shadow or not uh i believe he did he did so he went back in six six more weeks of winter so was that, his his what do they call it prognostication from yeah, Puxatani yeah. Phil. Puxatani Phil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, your 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 trade lines up with his pretty well here this year. It it does. <laughs> and we're we're gonna we're gonna share in royalties, I believe. Yeah. yeah. His agent called called me, and uh, we have a pretty sweet deal that, worked out. That's good. Yeah. Maybe, maybe next year they're gonna pull me from the hole. Yeah. And see, <laughs> see the if I see my, my, my sh- yeah Randy Block is gonna pull me from a little little den and. Uh, just hold me up and say, "Did Matt see his shadow?" And I'll I'll, I'll wiggle my nose. And <laughs> I want to see all the Cattlefax guys in top hats and you know dressed, dressed traditionally like I, the guys. I want to hear Randy Block read uh, read a poem about it. But you know, I, I do want to thank again our sponsors of this podcast of USR Insurance and Ag Risk Advisors because you know they do they provide producers those risk management tools. Uh, when the weather doesn't cooperate, or or, or what what needs uh, th- those additional tools just to help producers get by uh, during times of drought and whatnot, and I know uh, that uh, pasture rangeland forage uh, insurance option that so many producers have been taking advantage of because of these drought times have really saved operations, but also. Matt, how can a weather forecast truly be used as a risk management tool as producers uh, follow your commentary with NCBA and with Cattle Facts uh, for, for days and weeks to come and just making those management decisions? I know so many of the publications out there of mine are, you know, the seasonal outlooks going out three months, maybe even six months or nine months, as was the case with the Outlook Seminar here. But there's there's so much more you know, that the sponsors are providing online, like Facebook and Twitter, uh, email blasts. And within that, we're trying to, we're trying to not, you know, go out as far. 
we're trying to be far more specific in hazardous, impactful weather events coming your way, say maybe maybe not this week, but over the next two weeks, watch for these areas. And it's, it's no, we can't control the weather, but to just give somebody like yourself in Montana a heads up that, you know, February 28th, two and a half weeks away, it does look darn cold. Mm -hmm. Make your plans now. Yep. And that's the kind of thing that the sponsorship and social media is great for because you're reaching folks on a different level. You're, you're giving them that early alert that, hey, heads up, this one's going to be abnormally cold or abnormally wet. Make your plans now. You've got two weeks to adjust. Well, how about snowpack? I, I know up where we're at, I don't know the actual percentages, but uh, the, the ski hill showdown, which is not too far away from my in-laws ranch, I mean, they could have opened a month before the actual ski season, and and I haven't skied since high school, but I have to drive <laughs> by the hill quite a bit, and, and and they just seem to be having such a great year with snow. Last year wasn't so great, but um, and I use Montana so much because that's where I'm from that I see all the weather every single day. But what what's it like in Colorado? What's it like in Sierra Nevada, snowpack wise for 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 what that runoff's going to look like? Montana and, and uh, the Rockies all the way up into Canada, down into, say, the Tetons, uh, the Northern Cascades and Washington and Oregon, really a robust start to the season. And those areas climbed so far ahead of average on snowpack, and yet we've kind of dwindled that snow, but we're still looking at average to above average snowpack. And we're going to add to that throughout the season, the, the snow pattern will will start to progressively move north again so there's those areas in, like wyoming idaho montana those ranges are likely to end right around average maybe slightly ahead of the game once you hit colorado utah and head south into arizona and new mexico the northern ranges so the wasatch uh the mosquito uh the upper yampa valley uh those areas have really good snowpack Currently, you know, greater than 125% of average, mm -hmm. and that will feed the Colorado. But every other snow basin, part of the Colorado River system, central, southern Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, so hit and miss. And most of those basins will end below average, mm -hmm. and substantially so. Then we go to the Sierras and these atmospheric river events that people were yeah. talking so much yeah. about over the last four, six weeks. That dumped a tremendous amount of water on the Sierras. And some of those, those stations there are well, well greater than 200% of normal. So they're going to end the season very well. But a reminder, that, that water doesn't yeah. really go anywhere. Yeah. It, it's saved in California or goes to the ocean. It's not going back down to the Colorado or up north. So the Sierras are, are isolated. I wish, I wish they could have shared some of that snowpack to those other ranges we just discussed. And, you know, the Mississippi River, it's uh, just right out of the convention center right here. And, and we saw just uh, the barge traffic come to a halt on many of these river systems because there, there wasn't much water volume right, going right. down there. Uh, what, what does that look like here, as, especially for that important uh, commodity transportation? It'll be really important for March and April to be snowy in Montana. Uh, we have Thanks. No. <laughs> no. We need it. We need it. The pressure is on you. And if it's not provided, uh, I'll send you some notes. Okay. okay. Fairly negative notes. Send some straw yeah. as well. <laughs> um, we, we do have the, the snowpack that's on the ground, you know, over the northern plains, upper Midwest. And that's, that's going to help. The ground is frozen there. When we thaw out, 
it's runoff. It goes into the Mississippi. So that's valuable. But you got to sustain that. That's mm-hmm. only going to be a short period of time, right? Uh, so you look to the Rockies in Montana, and they honestly, there really needs to be a strong boost to the snowpack if we're going to sustain Mississippi River levels going forward. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's looking at every snowpack and everything west of the Mississippi. The, the outlook for spring is favorable for moisture in the Ohio and Tennessee valleys. And not that those are great contributors to the entire Mississippi River system, but certainly it helps. Yeah. So the combination of all these things does help the Mississippi as, as we thaw out and warm up this spring. But then it becomes early summer. We really have to have Montana come through with some good snowpack. Well, I mean, it is the last best place, but <laughs> well, it, and again, it's just uh, uh, we we live or we live, succeed, and go through so much just dependent on this weather. Um, Matt, Matt, what what are just some other tips or just insight you'd like to share with our listeners here today? Again, we're going to have uh, multiple conversations throughout the year with Matt, and and again, he he shares great information on these forecasts every single day. But uh, just, just any last thoughts, just to share with our audience. Um, there, there may be thoughts or questions that are popping into mind, and there, so let me try to hit a theme that I've heard of on the, the trade show floor over the last couple of days. And folks get the impression that when we say La Nina is gone, and will be very, very shortly, that they, in their mind, expect an immediate change. Drought's immediately gone. We're immediately wet. And in some cases, we will have super wet periods. But to sustain it, to break the drought, is very long-term. So I, I think it's important to just emphasize, pump our brakes a little bit. We still have a long way to go. And you see that not only in the weather outlook, but the cattle market as well. So they're kind of tied together, obviously. Oh, yeah. you, know? you know, there's a little connection there. And we are so, so negative territory now. Both will progress, but be patient as we progress in both, both items. Now, uh, we had quite the weather event, obviously, right before this, <laughs> at the start of this convention, and all my friends up in Montana have been sharing pictures of their, they wrote down we had fog on this date, and 90 days later, we had a weather event. Is that a wives' tale, or what are your, what are your thoughts on when fog rolls in and then rain or snow comes down the, down the line? Uh, there, there has been research over the years of people tying, you know, early in the season, say like November, October, November, of of finding a connection in storm frequency. Are they going to be every 45 days, every 62 days, whatever it may be? So there are, there, there is some research out there and it's obviously not a proven science or else we'd all be millionaire (laughs) weather people. Uh, But there, you can find cyclical patterns like that. And they're different every year, but you can find that. You can, with your territory down through Colorado, you can see a storm frequency. Last year, it was a, it was pretty much literally every seven days. Um, so there is a connection, you know. I, I, you know, statistically, I could give you the number, and it would probably not be make be a statistical connection. But anecdotally, I, you, I, there is a, there's a bit of a cycle there. Have you ever? got to sit down with a rancher or a farmer that goes decades back with their weather oh, journals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, a guy comes to mind out of eastern Montana. His name is Lon Rukoff, a, a past uh, Region 5 Environmental Stewardship Award winner. And his weather 
records go back all the way to like his forefathers and whatnot. Oh yeah, and I'm just yeah. like, man, you have, you have better records than the the, the than uh, Noah probably is it Noah that would keep that? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I'm just like, I, I just think that's such a treasure to to be able to watch that and learn also about how to manage your sure. operation sure. through those tough times too. And I'm just like, I, I, I want to do more of a story on that down the road too, because that is valuable information. And sometimes if you're cleaning out grandpa's house, make sure you go find those weather records. If he was, if he documented those sure. every day. Sure. There's, there's actually two that members that immediately came to mind. One is in Oklahoma and one is in Colorado and their weather knowledge and weather documentation over the years is phenomenal. Uh, especially the one in Colorado, because he has partly forested uh, pasture, and he he's not in the greatest of health, knows his granddaughter's going to take it, and he's force-feeding this weather data mm-hmm. to her, saying, you know, look at these years where where we couldn't depend on anything, or look how the forest impacted us, a very, like, centric microclimate just on his property, and it goes back. I... I want to say the 1940s for him personally that he recorded, but before him, his dad, his grandfather, so the 1800s. And for the government, Noah, you can find records back to like 1860s, 1870s with some reliability, but they're few and far between. And then in, in Oklahoma, it was more a matter of sustainability, hitting drought periods. And they're really using their data record to take kind of what I provide as far as an El Nino or La Nina look and they pull their own years and know exactly what happened and exactly what section of their land had what it's it is there are they're out there and they're impressive I, I just think it's so cool to hear that because uh, it, it is history but it, it it's again it's a management tool uh, for your landscape yeah and you're the you were there you were the observer yeah. and that is priceless yeah. data yep. yeah yeah well, Matt, uh, where where can folks go to learn uh, more about uh, your 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 forecasts that you do all week long, and also just uh, uh, the publications, of, of course, through NCBA and Cattle Facts as sure. well. Uh, every month uh, in National Cattlemen, there's going to be a breakdown. Sometimes I get uh, into the weeds on like why something is happening and try to break it down and make it explain it kind of like your initial question about La Nina mm-hmm. kind of touched on that before um and then and then the next issue will be a seasonal weather outlook or another topical topic uh for cattle facts they get they get monthly updates and those are always seasonal a month outlook in the next three months mm-hmm. that's always going to be the case and then through ncba social media channels uh cattlemen to cattlemen provide some weather outlooks there uh, and start to touch more on what's the what's the latest with Linnea? Is it gone yet? Those kind of details. And then once you get to the the social media aspect of NCBA, that's where you can be more topical, you know, yep. more timely. And that's where you can find the hazardous weather information, uh, the outlook for maybe the next two weeks, what to what to watch for coming down the pike. Yep. So all channels that, that have NCBA on it, you'll probably find some weather nuggets there to help out. Well, I'm looking forward to that, I, and I know our listeners will be as well. And again, we just want to thank WSR Insurance and AgRisk Advisors for uh, sponsoring our weather content across the board and the media groups here at NCBA. And uh, again, meteorologist Matt Makins, thanks for joining us here today. The weather's always fickle, so we'll try to 
keep you prepared the best we can. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, Matt. You bet. My pleasure. All right, friends. That will do it for this conversation on the Cattleman's Call podcast. I'm Lane Northland. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.